0: Greetings, everyone, and welcome to the DC Comics News podcast number 67. I'm here with um, Brad Filicky, Seth Singleton, and Steve J. Ray from DC Comics News. Guys, say hello.
1: Hello. Hello. And hello.
0: (laughs) And I'm your host, Kelly Gaines. Um, We have some exciting news, kind of a change of pace from what we've been looking at recently with... um, Uh, coronavirus cancellations and whatnot, we actually have a a chunk of fun, exciting stories. And first up, starting with the Birds of Prey movie. Um, We know that it was released early on digital because theaters are currently closed down, but there is a fun, new, honest trailer that's sort of come into circulation. Um, Brad, what did you think? Uh,
2: You know, it was, uh, it's funny. And uh, it, it didn't attack. Uh, the movie, which is, which is a good thing, because the movie was, was better than most people uh, gave it credit for uh, In the you know, outside of our nerd little world. Well, one thing that kind of made me appreciate the film more is when they mentioned the fact that you get to see Gotham in a way you never have before, in the daylight. And I was like, well, that's true. It was like, you don't really get to see much of Gotham in the daylight like you did in this movie. So that was, a, that was kind of a cool, uh, a cool little thing that did bring that to my mind. Uh, What do you think?
3: I really have only one thing to say in response to that, which is it reinforced the reminder that I should never let Harley Quinn give me a tattoo. I only have so many. And as soon as they showed her one as they said it, and then two, cut to the uh, the scene from the talk show when she's like, yeah, so I was writing and then I made a mistake. And I was like, okay, uh, all confidence lost. I'm sure you're, you know, the most amazing actress, actor that I've seen. uh, And this film was a great testament to that. But as far as your tattooing skills, whether it's as Margot Robbie or as Harley Quinn, I honestly will not allow you to come near me with that gun. The rest of it was just sort of a, a, you know, a bit of friendly, cute poking at the idea that eventually they get together and become a team it just takes a while but i i thought overall it was just uh, a really fun trailer that you know that approach and i i love that little intro where they just had all the bubbles of people like please do an honest trailer for this movie uh steve how about you my friend spaghetti legs <laughs> i just thought
4: <laughs> oh wow um Honestly, yeah, the, the violence is turned up to 11, but it's beyond comic book violence, and the language is just fun, as anyone who listens to our new show, Mad Love, the Harley Quinn cast in the next few weeks, um, will attest that we were affected, and we are not responsible, and we are not going to take any of the blame, and sorry, not sorry, but this on this trailer, like Brad said, I love you Brad you're you're, you're my bro Um, they did not rip the film to pieces they were complimentary they said it's a fun movie great action scenes and literally what else do you want and yes they do become a team it might take an hour and 22 minutes but they do become a team there you go Kelly what did you think
0: yeah I I actually got to see it when it went on digital release and it is just a really fun movie there's no I mean it's not incredibly deep and maybe, I mean, they made the point of not a ton of character development, but I felt like you almost didn't you got exactly what you needed to make the movie fun for the duration. Um, you know, and and it wasn't that weird. They showed the katana scene from um Suicide Squad, which I think was just a prime example of what I didn't like about Suicide Squad. And they didn't have anything like that where you meet someone for 30 seconds and then um, you know, it's just all right, so here's this character. They're on the bus now. They're coming too. Don't worry about where they came from. Um, The Honest trailer is hilarious. I really like... One of my favorite parts of the movie was that scene where Huntress is talking to herself in the mirror trying to practice being intimidating. (laughs) (laughs) I'm so glad they showed that because it's just... I mean, you have to assume everybody who is... No matter how... um, cool they look. Everybody tends to sort of practice certain things in the mirror with themselves. So thinking of a superhero standing there going like, my name is Huntress at themselves is just adorable. Um, Yeah, so I really enjoyed the movie. I definitely hope that they go with some sort of a sequel. Um, Margot Robbie deserves it at this point, just off of how much she's put into being Harley Quinn and how much she worked on you know, really making the aesthetic for this movie. Um, so, yeah, I, I love the Honest Trailer. I love the movie. And I really hope that this isn't the end of it. And actually, luckily, anyone who is not necessarily into the digital release, we have the Blu-ray coming out on, um, I believe that was May 12th, um, with a whole bunch of behind-the-scenes and little extra, um, little extra bonuses that will come just with that Blu-ray disc. Um, did any of you guys think you were going to pick that up?
4: Definitely. Uh, I have to have all the DC movies. Yeah. Yeah.
2: I can't say when, but definitely.
0: Nice. Yeah. Did any of the, um, those bonus features stand out to you guys? I mean, I, I think just the love skate relationship one to me sounds hilarious and I love a good gag reel. So, you know, anything else? Um, I'm kind of curious what birds, uh, view mode is.
3: That seems
2: like it could be kind of interesting
3: yeah i'm a sucker for a good gag reel always like <laughs> one and i i like the idea of the whole sanity is so last season i mean for, for me that that you could go fashion you could go how do you wear your sanity as fashion there, there's a lot of uh latitude available so that that sort of really got my attention and wild nerds i mean come on it just takes me back mm-hmm. to the old i think it's duran duran wild boys Um, anyways, uh, so for just that moment, I was just like, wild nerds, like, you know, trying to like match that chorus up and, uh, it fits, find the song, play it. Um, (laughs) you'll see what I'm talking about, but yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm also going to say back to that Hunter's thing we were talking about with the mirror. How many times have we seen other actors want to be Robert De Niro from Taxi Cab Driver? And she got her moment like, you know, like how many times after you see that movie, are you like, you talking to me? I don't see anybody else here. You must be talking to me. You know what I mean? Like she gets that moment where she's like, who am I? I'm. No, let me try that again. Who am I? I'm Okay, Let's you know what I mean? Like, hey, everybody wants that moment. I would think as an actor, it's like one of those great experiences to capture yourself on screen doing something so iconic and. Come on. It's one of those iconic moments. I just love that feeling of it. Like not only do you get to do it, but you get to practice it a couple of times and you get to have some fun in the process. Uh, that, that was just a huge highlight. Yeah, absolutely. Michael J. Fox did it better. You talking to me, Tannen?
4: You're talking to me. <laughs> so, right, Biff. A, Oh, Biff, Biff. Oh, <laughs> class. I'll I, I have to see the love skate relationship because um, I don't know if you guys have seen Jimmy Palmiotti's Twitter, where he was actually on set a lot for the making of the film. And he actually filmed a lot of Margot Robbie doing the stunt stuff on the skate at the roller derby and really Going into the other stunt performers, and it's her; it's actually physically her. So I can see that it was grueling work, but that that was all Margot. So kudos, yeah. That's the one thing that I do love about having a physical copy is all these extras, because a lot of the digital releases don't have that kind of stuff. And like Seth said, who doesn't love a good gag reel? It, yeah, got to be done. Got to be done.
0: Absolutely. Well, hopefully, um, I mean. I think I'm still one of those people who hasn't gotten on the Blu-ray train. I still get DVDs, but <laughs> my hope would be that it comes out as both and on both, but we'll see. Um, and so actually more exciting news relating back to the, um, the Batman movies that's coming out. Hopefully, we're assuming at some point in 2020, but it could be pushed back a little bit with production on hold. Um, but it's going to be, and I think we've discussed this before, a mystery noir film. Um, according to Matt Reeves. So, we've seen a good portion of kind of the grueling effort that's gone into shaping the movie so far, as far as casting, um, all the secret, I don't, I don't know what you would call it, I guess, the mystery behind what this movie is going to be about. But actually, with this break, they're having a little bit of extra time um, to look back over the script and look back at what they've shot already. So, Brad, what did you think of that? Uh, I was
2: kind of hopeful, uh, but this dashed my hopes, that they had a little more of it filmed than they do. Uh, according to this, he says they have about a fourth of it filmed. And with only a fourth of it filmed, um, you know, I, I just wonder if these delays are going to force it to be pushed back a little further in the schedule. But I mean, I you know, I guess we'll see. But on the plus side, uh, he does have a lot of time to go over, like he was saying, the dailies and, and uh, fine tuning things. So I think that the stuff that he does have filmed already, it's 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 going to be a pretty damn good film. Uh, Seth, what do you think?
1: Well, I was really moved
3: by how he described this approach of looking at things in a way of understanding the tone that he wants and the tone that he's seeing. And, and trying, uh, you know, I, I love any time they use this example of the happy accident, which is capturing lightning in a bottle, you know, when, when it's something that's living and breathing and growing. And with only a quarter of it done, it makes me think that with this reflection on tone, not only can you see what you have and how you either want to build, expand or adapt, but also, when we're talking about a, a detective mystery, um, there's so much about the details and where you can plant those details, not only early on but throughout, and how much time you have to do it. And he, he points out, you know, the fact that normally when you're making changes like this, it's so difficult because you're you're talking about something that can feel so enormous and complex. But if you've got nothing but time. It's kind of like uh, I remember being a kid and sometimes I would have a pair of shoes that would get knots and I had, you know, I would I would try and find a way around it. But it was always frustrating if I was in a hurry. But if I had time, I could sit there and sort of pull at the threads, work out that knot, you know, fix whatever the issue was. And I feel like this time that he's being allowed, as well as I think we, we've talked about this with some other projects, what that can mean for the story and for an important detective story like this is invaluable. So I'm, I'm hoping that this can be done and still meet somewhere close to what the uh, original goal was. But I, I take a lot of heart for the fact that this is a, a thing that's being seized as an opportunity instead of being seen as something that's, a, you know, um, a greater complication as it could be. And it it can provide some, well, some really great moments that it could look back on and say, you know, if we didn't have that time to sort of let this thing breathe, we might not have seen that this was possible. Steve, what was your take, my friend?
4: Nicely said. Yeah, I completely agree. Having this extra time to look at it and he said that it's not going to change the final story he tells, but it might Change some of the ways he's seen and and, and viewed the project beforehand but what I really got from this interview is the fact that he clearly has a lot of love for this project and he's really really invested in it and that is the thing that every fan really wants to see and I'm going to try and put as positive a spin on it as I can the fact that yes it may only be a, a quarter of it that he's finished But that quarter, he can now fine tune, develop, add the effects, get everything done, uh, nail down the final score he wants to have as the soundtrack and really make it everything he wants it to be. So, um, yeah, it's probably going to be held back a little bit, but hopefully they'll just add to the polish and make the final product even better than it would have been had they just plowed on through and and made it uh, according to the original schedule so I'm going to keep positive I'm going to stay glass half full and uh the more I hear the more excited I am for this film so that's the best way to look at it really uh what did you make of it all Kelly
0: yeah I, I have to echo you guys I think it's probably for the best um just to have that extra time in there and I know when I see a movie that I think, oh, that really wasn't what I expected to be, a lot of the time it'll be because it feels rushed or because something just doesn't feel properly executed or properly planned. So, yes, the delay is disheartening as a whole just for the industry that everything is on pause right now, but pause also does give us time to look back. So, hopefully, the Batman that we get at the end of all of this will be an even better Batman than it would have been had everything just stayed on track. So, yeah, I'm, I'm going to keep the glass half full too and just hope that this is I don't know if you can say a blessing in disguise but that it can be used for the positive um and actually another really cool positive Empire Magazine has given us some other new images of Wonder Woman 1984 um Brad what did you think
2: uh these pictures are are great uh I I really like the full view of her in the armor uh, it's similar to things we've seen, but I don't know if we've ever gotten that like kind of full like body shot so you can see the entire the entire armor. The color schemes are like what we've seen before, very 80s and very vibrant. Uh, yeah, it, it, I, I wish we got Empire easier in America. It's sometimes kind of tricky to find even in New York, but I've always enjoyed it and I, I, I can't wait to read this article. Uh, this yeah, I mean, these pictures are are, are great. Uh, Seth, what
3: do you think? These are great pictures. Not only are they stunning and gorgeous, I mean, the color scheme and the way you've got this, uh, especially in the second one with uh, the lasso in motion, she's turned and you can see, you know, the, the classic sort of armor that we're used to seeing her wearing, just her daily battle dress. Um, but the way that there's sort of that after image behind her, which gives me a very nostalgic feeling takes me back to um, color schemes that I remember from the late 70s and early 80s. But then, what you were mentioning about the armor, Brad, you totally just sort of flicked a part of my brain and made me chuckle because as soon as I looked at it while you were describing it, I was not only thinking about how really cool it looks as armor, but also how functional. And then part of it made me flash back to the time period that it's coming uh, out, or what it's supposed to be representing, 1984, and how parts of it are also emblematic of uh, Excalibur. You remember the old Excalibur movie? Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah. I remember, you know, that that sort of great scene where you've got Arthur facing off against his his uh, illegitimate son and uh, <laughs> the the war between the two of them and the magnificent sort of gleam in that armor and thinking wow you don't you don't see that as much anymore armor now looks more rustic functional and this looks functional but also it has that that great sheen to it it it, it was really just like it, it glows and i just had this sort of feeling of like wow what a great you know, for me at least, connection between the 1980s and what I felt at the time was, and is still a very classic, but also at the time, a penultimate example of knights and armor. And this armor just brought that back to me as soon as I heard you describing it. So thanks for that sort of uh, little reminder there, man. Nice little nostalgic flashback for me. Steve, what was your take? That beautiful, beautiful color it just leaps
4: off the page. And the second we're allowed out, if I see this uh, in a a news agency, I'm just going to have to pick up both covers because they're stunning. Um, She, just like Margot, now embodies that character. She is the physical embodiment of everything that is Wonder Woman. And I wasn't best pleased when she was first cast. I thought she was too thin, whatever. But the way she's built herself up the training the whole look and again the love and respect she's got for the character just sings it really just leaps out of every pore of her so i loved wonder woman the first movie i'm sure the second one's going to be great and i cannot wait to see that armor in battle in full effect and now that lego have actually given away what cheetah looks like Hopefully the rest of the world won't be far behind and we get some actual shots of her nemesis in this film too. Cannot wait. What did you make of it all, Kelly?
0: Yeah, I. she's Wonder Woman. She To me, that is the perfect Wonder Woman. And I genuinely wish that this costume, this armor existed when I was a kid finding Halloween costumes to wear to school. Because anytime I wanted to be Wonder Woman, it meant I had to wear sweatpants under the little onesie thing. This would have been perfect. Um, and yeah, it's just, it's a gorgeous look. It's such beautiful and, and vivid armor. Um, and it kind of does just the whole color scheme they picked. I Unfortunately, I missed the 80s by a little bit. But everything that I've seen that, you know, relates back to that 80s aesthetic, this seems to fit perfectly. On top of the fact that it, the whole movie has this hype behind it um you know i've mentioned to you guys before i have coworkers and friends who aren't even into comic books and don't really you know are aren't i'd say hardcore fans of wonder woman but they're so excited for this movie just for the visuals and the way that it it seems like it's going to um build on what the last movie did so yeah i i love the look i love these covers and yeah if i can ever get my hands on one i will be I I think I'm a little bit more partial to the first cover, but either one, either or. And so other fun um, release news, the the Lego Shazam Magic and Monsters movie is going to be on Blu-ray on April 28th. Um, I know we've talked a little bit about this movie before, but what did you guys think? Are you excited?
2: I... I, I am. I, I, like I, I think I'd mentioned this before on the podcast that one of the great things to me about the Lego stuff is that it truly is family entertainment. Everybody from all ages can find something. The humor generally works for adults as well. Um, they always have a good spirit. And I think Shazam, the character, is a perfect character to be used in a lego movie so i'm kind of uh, kind of excited to see this i think it'll be a lot of fun and for those minifigure collectors out there uh it does include a shazam minifigure uh while supplies last it says so you know if you if you want that collectible figure go out and grab it or order it i should say you're probably not going to be able to go out and grab it anywhere but uh, go ahead and pre-order that now uh what do you think <laughs>
3: Brad, great, great little notation there at the end. You know, you just in case you can't actually go out to places and get it, you know, or um, <laughs> I mean, I was hooked when we saw this trailer and when we were talking about it previously. Like I said, Sean Astin. Boom. I'm in. I'm done. I'm sold. You know, he he had me from the early days and he only cements my love each time he takes on a new character. I, I love the enthusiasm um, and Man, yeah, if you love these mini figs, like go out and get the physical media. We had such a small place we were living in for such a long time that in order to keep books, we had to get rid of movies. That was the trade-off. We could get them on streaming digital, but in order to have bookshelf space for books, that was the <laughs> that was the agreement made, and I was okay with that. Now that I've got a place with a little more space, I'm wildly tempted to start expanding, once again, physical media. But if there's ever been a true temptation, it is this possibility. So um, you'll just have to check back with me on what the uh, final result was. Steve, what was your thoughts, my friend?
4: Lego and DC have always been a match made in heaven. From day one, everything they do together is literally, pardon the pun, magic. And Shazam is a character that's made for Lego meets DC. The fact that it's a child in a man's body saying a magic word, flashes of lightning, Mr. Mind, what, we're we fighting worms now? Oh man, I cannot wait to get my hands on this movie. And I've really said that I'm not the biggest Funko fan. Lego, Lego is my jam. And I want to spread it all over my Blu-ray <laughs> I need this film in my life and cannot wait to buy it. Um, Kelly, what did you make of this wonderful piece of film news? I
0: I think I will see it. Um, I haven't seen a lot of the other Lego movies, although I've seen bits and pieces. Um, and yeah, I mean, who doesn't need a, a nice, feel-good, sort of colourful pick-me-up right now? So I, I think I definitely will see it. Um as far as see I I'm a sucker for free things that come with other things like I, I was that kid who would cry to get the cereal boxes with prizes in them even if it was a prize I would never touch again after I opened it um, <laughs> so that that is a very very strong um I don't know it's it's they've baited me I'm probably gonna end up ordering it but we'll see we'll see <laughs> Um, and actually, so our, our last little bit of movie news is, ending on a low note, um, Amber Heard she played Mera in the Aquaman movie, um, could face prison time if she is found to have falsified evidence against Johnny Depp for um, their previous spousal abuse case. Um, Brad, what did you think?
2: Oh, what a mess. What a mess. You, we, you know, we we talked a little bit about toxic relationships on the Mad Love uh, uh, podcasts that were recorded, but this this is a perfect example of a toxic relationship. It seems like they were both toxic for each other. I mean, it was, it's just terrible. And I think that I, I think that what's going to happen is that um, she's going to end up being taken off the movie, no matter what the result is of this. I think that I don't think she'll be in Aquaman too. Uh, Seth, what do you think?
3: I got to be honest. I'm completely stunned by this story. I I I feel like until the final judgment has been made about whether or not these claims are true or false I'm I'm put in an awkward position because uh, there's a part of me that always wants to lean uh, towards the veracity of someone who has been assaulted, been injured, been abused and now that there's a question of whether or not those reports are true and that there could be evidence contradicting. Right now, it appears to be testimony from one person or at least a comment or statement from one person, but there's also the fact that uh, there's the likelihood that James Franco, because of the details of this story and that it's reported that he was in close contact with Amber during the time of the, uh, I believe the restraining order and how that will influence support or negate the statements that these claims aren't true. I agree with Brad. It sounds like it was toxic on both ends. It sounds like that was something that was discovered rather quickly. The relationship uh, marriage didn't seem to last, I think, more than a year or two. Um, But in in one of these moments, it's, it's really difficult to take any sort of position. It doesn't feel like there's as much evidence as there is Either statements uh, or personal testimony. And uh, I, I'm really struggling with it because uh, I, I don't want to doubt what anyone makes uh, a statement like that. And yet I have at least a, a reason to give pause here and say, okay, I think we need more information. But I, I'm also just done because, Brad, when you said it, I was just thinking to myself, wow. That could change so many things for what they were planning on with Aquaman 2. And um, this is another uncertainty to add to the mix that we're currently experiencing. Steve, uh, help me out here. What was your thoughts?
4: It's so heartbreaking when you see two people who seemed at first to be so in love to, to end up this way. But um i've seen other reports which are even even more terrifying i mean the fact that her makeup artist said that she was fine in the morning and it was all made up so i've heard so many stories that she was distressed that he didn't like the way the relationship was going and he wanted to leave that she uh, according to many sources and i've read this in several places was actually more the abuser than the abusee to points where people are saying that they've seen Uh, she bit chunks of flesh out of depth and she defecated in on his on their bed and whatever else and she sounds like um a a very uh, disturbed young lady and it's sad because they're both talented individuals they were both so in love and i don't want to take anybody's side because i don't know the facts i wasn't there but the more you read into it um the the, the worse it, it it got and the worse it sounds so uh, sometimes the best thing for any couple is not to be a couple anymore and that's the only the only way to to leave a story like that i think what what did you make of it all well, kelly obviously from from the lady's perspective we, we you've got to have a, an opinion about this
0: yeah i this is a story i've kind of been following um you know, just out of they're they're both actors that I've admired so much. Um and I was heartbroken when initially it came out that Johnny Depp was, you know, abusive towards her. And then like you, Steve, I've been reading some of these other things that have come out about Amber recently. And if those stories are true, it really it, it almost makes it more heartbreaking because you know, I think we've come to a point in history where um women who have lived with really terrible kind of mentally distressing and heavy secrets because they've been afraid to speak out about it are getting more of a voice now to actually sort of find closure and find justice. Um, And one of the things I read was, you know, sort of her saying, well, people are going to believe me, not you. And if something like that is true, it just, it breaks your heart, especially considering, you know, she's playing such a you know, she's playing a hero. She's playing someone that people who have seen the movie are supposed to look up to. And if it's you know, if this is really the turn that her personal life has taken, um you know, i I don't think she should be an Aquaman, too in that case. And yeah, I don't it's just I think it's a particularly terrible thing to do if you use social progress as sort of a way to, I don't know, to harm somebody else or to make it seem like you know i can do whatever i want because the world will back me i i don't like that um yeah so i guess my hope at this it point un- does a lot that- of
4: the good work for from real victims who have been victimized uh, and that's what upsets me the fact that they are real women who have suffered at the hands of horrible abusive men and it does seem more and more with well, the more I read about this, that she's tried to spin that around and that's, it, it just destroys all the hard work of all those brave women who have been through these horrible things.
0: Right. Exactly. Yeah. So I, yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, I hope that whatever it is that comes of this, we find out the actual truth. Um, And I would feel so sorry for Johnny Depp if, you know, because I think he lost Pirates of the Caribbean and, and so many other opportunities in the fallout from the initial case. Um, and never mind the fact that, you know, like you were saying, Steve, this takes sort of that, that believability and that opportunity for, for justice from women who have actually gone through something, um, you know, and sort of lived through what she was describing. It, the whole thing is just kind of a dark splotch, I would say. So from there, that is the end of our movie news. We're going to take a quick break and pay some bills. And we'll be back with TV and streaming and comic news in a bit.
1: This is Seth Singleton from DC Comics News, here to tell you about the Spinner Rack. Each and every week, DC Comics publishes so many great books, it can be hard to decide where to invest your time and money. And that's where the Spinner Rack comes in. The Spinner Rack is my honest attempt to rate, review, score the top five books from DC Comics each and every week. How can you listen? It's easy. All you have to do is go to your favorite platform, subscribe to DC Comics News Podcasts, and wait for the new episode to load up. Join me each and every week as I sift through the best from DC Comics and pick my top five books. Can't wait to share them with you, and to hear your scores when you share them with us. Right here, on the DC Comics News Podcast. First, there was the DC
4: Comics News Podcast. Then came, the Spitter Rack. And now, the third show brought to you by the guys that brought you all that other stuff I just mentioned. I am the Knight. A story about the stories. A show celebrating Batman, the animated series. Week by week, episode by episode. Just when you thought it was safe to put on a pair of headphones, I am the night.
0: Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the DC Comics News Podcast, episode 67. I'm your host, Kelly Gaines, and I'm here with. Brad Filicky, Seth Singleton, and Steve J. Ray. Say hello, everybody. Hello, hello everybody. Hello,
1: everyone.
0: <laughs> everybody, hello. All right, so moving into streaming news. Luckily, we have some some positive outlooks to take a look at today. Um, and I'm going to pronounce this last name maybe wrong, maybe very right. I've been pondering on it for that that whole break. <laughs> So the CW Superman and Lois has cast lana Lang um, actress Emmanuel shrieky freaky I think it's freaky um, has just announced that she's been cast um, and hopefully we'll see a premiere for this show in fall of 2020 we're not sure yet uh, Brad would you think?
2: uh yeah I, I i like her i like her in a lot of stuff she's i think most recently she was in the passage on fox um she was on entourage and um i've been familiar with her work for a while and i always liked her i think i think she'll make a, a good Lois lane i think it's an interesting uh interesting choice uh seth what do you think
3: well i'm always encouraged by casting decisions it just lets me know that we're establishing the characters who are going to make up the the universe in this story i'm not as familiar with emmanuel whose last name i will only do an injustice to and so thus will avoid saying but um it sounds like she's uh proven herself in the the content that you've seen her in and in a lot of ways uh, whether it's at a restaurant or somewhere else I like recommendations, so if I go to someone, hey, what can you tell me, and I hear a good report like that, I'm encouraged. Um, You know, I am intrigued that there's a bit of a twist to how her character will be portrayed, and I want to see what that looks like on screen. But a casting announcement to me is actually a really, as Kelly started this off by saying, a a positive take on uh, some of the current news out there, and it's a good positive note that this is something charging along especially following in the announcement of uh, the casting of Sam Lane so um, I'm really looking forward to seeing who else we get to hear about Steve what we should take it's always
4: welcome news when you get another classic character like Lana Lang appearing on the show we've already got a strong Superman and Clark in Tyler Hecklin a fantastic Lois Lane in Bitsy Tullock. So having Emmanuel join the cast as Lana and they've cast her husband as well. um, That's going to be a nice thing because it won't have that uh, ages old love triangle story going on. I just think that Lana and Clark could be best friends. And that's something I loved in the later years in the comics where literally they were just stronger together as a group of people. So, fantastic love it and if she's a good actress brad thank you for that like seth said that just makes me more positive uh for seeing the character appearing on the show when it happens and we need a show like this ever since the uh dying days of uh lois and clark i i've been really hoping for another superman as a married man with his wife having adventures kind of show and something the cw do sh- cw shows do very very well is marry that whole superheroics with the Soap opera aspect of it, and give the whole cast a uh, time to shine and, and and act as an ensemble. So lovely stuff. Yep, happy about that. Good old Lana Lang is coming back to TV. What did you make of it, Kelly?
0: Yeah, you made a very good point. I'm kind of happy to see the the love triangle not play so much of a factor in the show. I remember watching Smallville um when I was a kid, and I always used to think, you know, Superman's supposed to be with Lois Lane but I really like this Lana character and it it just it used to drive me nuts because when you're I I must have been maybe eight years old at the time you don't really understand that love is a complex thing or that people can you know in my head it was always like well you find one person and you like them and then that's just your person and god was I wrong but you know it's it'll be nice to see this as a, a more kind of best friends or you know supportive group dynamic. And you're right, her husband was casted to, um, I believe, that actor's name, Eric Valdez. Uh, He's been in General Hospital, which I haven't seen. Um, But did you guys have any other uh, takeaway about him?
2: Uh, Not really. Uh, I'm not familiar with him really at all. So it's kind of, to me, it's a fresh face. And that's always kind of cool, too. Uh, So you don't have anything associated with that actor before
3: you see them in this role sir
4: i, I do yeah, recognize he,
3: the face but i
4: can't place it
3: right i felt like I, I want to look him up on imdb now and see what else he's been in because i don't recognize him from general hospital he's a very attractive guy i uh, and i'm like wow that's a really attractive guy whose face looks like something i've seen him in, in something else besides general hospital which i've never seen except while like flipping through the channels or something or if someone's showing me a clip for whatever reason you're like oh This person used to be on that show or something like that. What I did kind of get a kick out of this is the fact that he's a uh, fire chief. So he's a local hero. And I kind of like that identity that they've created. And then the added part where he uh, doesn't care much for big city and often butts heads with people that come from it. That seems like just a, a natural opportunity for some great conflict some great storytelling um i I like that character dynamic that they include about him so uh, other than not really knowing who he is until i look him up later and can then go aha you were in that thing that i remember that nobody else knows um yeah i'm just intrigued by the casting and by the character description that part really stuck with me and you know adding to what you guys were talking about removing the the love triangle aspect and dealing with adult couples uh, relationships and the community that's formed by uh, these friends and their partners. How about you, Steve? Kelly. Yeah. I have to agree
4: with what you said as well, but um, love is hard. Love is terrible. As my friend Patricia frequently stated, love is a battlefield. So (laughs) make make of that what you will, but um, yeah, having them both cast, Good looking actors, um, sounds like quite talented. I think I recognize him actually. It does say later on that he made a guest appearance as a new girl, which is a show I really enjoyed. And I think I'm starting to remember who he played in that. But like you, Seth, these things bug me, and I have to Google it, I have to Wikipedia it to find out. I know that face, where the hell have I seen that face before? So I'm glad it's not just an obsession. That I have. Uh, I'm not the only OCD person here. You're not alone. Oh, yes. Thank (laughs) you. Uh, It's good to know that I'll have company in my cell at the time when the pills and the injections are are passed around. So, thanks, Seth. Love you. (laughs) No problem. Remember,
3: (laughs) only have the greenies after you've eaten lunch. Otherwise, it's a really rough afternoon. Oh, yeah. You're going (sighs) to be fine. (laughs) (laughs) What did you make of it, Kelly?
0: Yeah, I honestly didn't recognize him. Um, But yeah, like you guys said, both very good looking actors. And it is a comfort to have, you know, the husband and wife both cast at the same time. At least it gives us a little bit more about the direction the show is taking. Um, So yeah, I and actually that that little bit about, you know, being a, a small town fire fire chief and not necessarily getting along with people from the big city. I can just see that playing off so well especially um you know if you superman or clark kent he's small town to big city sort of transfer so i'm really wondering how that's going to play out in the show but yeah i i like the casting i don't have any reason not to so best of luck and so a little um kind of fun story here uh grant gustin showed a picture of a black flash suit that was for one of the initial fitting photos um, Brad, what did you think of the suit? Uh, I liked
2: it. I think that would be a uh, I uh, wouldn't mind him in that costume actually on the show instead of just for you know as a costume instead of just for filming. Uh, it wouldn't be as flashy as having the you know, pardon the pun, but the the red flashes. Oh, I liked running. it. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I think the I think aesthetically the costume is pretty cool. Uh, maybe I just you know like black, <laughs> but yeah um, yeah I I liked it. Uh, Seth, what do you think?
3: I was a huge fan. Actually, it's kind of uh, it cracked me up when I was looking at this because I was like, wow, that that's a, you know, a great shot. Hey, wait a minute. That looks like a wetsuit. You know, this is why whenever we would go surfing, my wife would tease me when I would pull on my wetsuit because at certain points she'd stop and go, you kind of look like a superhero in that thing. And I was like, but it's a wetsuit. Everybody looks like a superhero in a wetsuit. But <laughs> seeing a Flash costume with that black color with the gold popping off of it, it it's really quite cool. Um, I I agree with you, Brad. There's a part of me that's like, so uh, how long is this costume going to stick around? And how much do we get to see it on the show? Because I like the look of it. And, you know, there's also a great history to go with the Black Flash character. So I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing the appearance on screen. I think it's a great experience for uh, for all of us to sort of have that you know dark quality that comes with it, that ominous feeling when well someone changes to a darker hue because usually it implies darker things to come. Steve, I think you know what I'm talking about. What's your take, my friend? I do indeed, but I have to say, Seth,
4: not everybody looks like a superhero in a wetsuit. I'm just very glad they've outlawed whaling in the UK. I will not stick on that subject. I will just move on to say that that is a very, very cool black costume. But I have a thing like Brad um, with black costumes. Hey, and people, listeners, we all know if Brad says it's cool, yeah. it's cool. He knows <laughs> he is the funky fashionista of the DC comics news podcast. So For this, fashion
3: podcast is coming, man. It's there
4: coming. You go. It's got the Brad searing hot, seal of approval so it is cool and i'm a sucker for a black costume since spider-man uh in secret wars and coming to earth in the black costume to superman's black costume when he returned from the dead i just think something about that look is just beyond cool batman beyond need i go further it's just wicked um it said he just did it for a fitting and that eventually became his costume but i think he lies because that emblem is not like any fashion I've seen. So I'm thinking you're right, Seth. We may be seeing Black Flash in the show. And if that's the case, bring it on. So much fun. Yeah. Oh, See, I Did thought,
1: you...
2: I would, yeah, I, I. from what I got from the article, I must have read it wrong. Uh, it wasn't really seen in the show, but it's used for like stunts and things like that. But oh, maybe, yeah, I mean, I would love to see it in the show if that was the case. Yeah, absolutely. Please bring it to the show.
0: Yeah, definitely. That is, I I am also partial to black costumes. I think it's it's just so sleek looking and it looks so, maybe it just throws us all back to Batman. Like there's something about it that's like the cool character standing on the roof in the moonlight, you know, planning something amazing that none of us could physically actually do. Um, Yeah, I, I love the costume. I love the way it looks. I did also get out of it that it was just sort of a behind-the-scenes costume. So, yeah, my hope would be that it does show up in the show because it is very sleek looking. Um, Yeah, so we'll see. But that is is a good-looking costume. I think that's two for this episode that I would wear for Halloween. That and Wonder Woman's crazy golden armor suit, although without the wings because that's too
3: heavy. I can't do the wings. (laughs) And I'm going to throw one more thing in this fire, harder. if you don't mind. I'm just going to sort of – what what was that, Steve? You sound like you had something stuck in your throat. Harder. Harder. <laughs> I
1: wish. <will. laughs>
3: um, you know, there's also another thing that catches my attention about this. Even though it's a, a fitting, you know, something that, that was in between and, and was only used for background-type work, You know, there was a great storyline that they had with the Justice League where they had the elite and Flash ended up working for both sides. And he had more of a uh, uh, darker hue costume when he was working with the elite as part of like a uh, secret uh, Justice League uh, Black or Black Ops. And the idea of him maybe doing something with Argus or somebody else. Down the road in a story and using this suit, just man, like popped into my head. And I was like, ooh, that could be something else fun. So, Black Flash, Justice League Dark sort of take, uh, not Justice League Dark, but a Justice League kind of Black Ops or Secret Mission Argus thing. Uh, there's some huge potential here, and we've got the comics that could make it happen. Like, all you got to do is, you know. Go to one of those stories, and we've seen the CW twist them so they fit right on screen. So that's my final little, you know, boom. I'm out.
0: <laughs> Very nice. Well, let's. I mean, yeah, I and I like that Justice League Black Ops. That sounds really cool. <laughs> yeah, I'd buy that. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> so and we have um, not necessarily a bad thing. A change in the schedule for the remainder of the Supergirl season, um, in relation to the coronavirus. So now we're going to see a return on May 3rd and May 17th is still pegged for the finale. Brad, what do you think? Yeah, I like, uh, it, it gives me
2: optimism when I have concrete dates for things like this these days. Uh, it kind of shows that things can kind of, the wheels can start turning again. So I'm glad that we do know specific dates and it's not just kind of indefinite. So I think that this is, these delays are something we can live with. I mean, May 17th, it's not that, in the scheme of things, it's not that far away. Uh, so, uh, and it looks like it'll be um, Melissa Beno- uh, noise less I don't know how to pronounce her last name, but her directorial debut. So that'll be kind of cool to see too. So yeah, I think it's something that we can all
3: live with considering. Uh, Seth, what do you think? I definitely think it's something we can all live with. And actually, I think there's a really added benefit, uh, sort of unexpectedly through this sort of announcement. You know, um, when they mentioned that they were casting Rama Khan and we were going to get to see Leviathan and Supergirl's storyline started to pick up, there was a part of me that felt like there just wasn't enough time in this season. And all I could think of was, you know, you, you guys took a fair amount of time with, uh, I think it was the Agent Liberty one, and I wanted to see that same amount of time taken with Leviathan. And I even wondered, is one season long enough? Well, in my mind, this allows us to have a finale, but with the potential of Ramicon Leviathan continuing as a big bad for more than one season. And I, I love the idea of of a nefarious organization that they're always working against who's got long-reaching, generation-long or scoped plans, and also with the power set to back them up. The intrigue that was being put into play between Luther, Brainiac, and also his desires with Leviathan, I feel this is a story that we could really benefit from having stretched out. So I like the idea of having a finale. I love that we still get to see uh, Melissa's directorial debut. And it makes me hopeful that, we're gonna have a big bad who's kind of like Luther that sticks around for a while and maybe can be a really great multiple season um, possibility for the show. So uh, I also am really impressed that they already had so much content available that they could put it together to create the finale, which it really shows some you know planning and the benefits that come when you've put that much work in advance that you can be prepared for uh, the unexpected, like we're currently dealing with. Steve, how about you? Yeah, the same,
4: absolutely. It shows that they've got um, a clear eye on the end goal, so they're going to deliver that properly in the way they want to do it. Yes, it might be two or three episodes shorter a season than what we're used to, but the main story will be told. And like you, Seth, as soon as I heard those characters were going to appear in the show, I wanted them to not just be... Three or four episodes and gone like you sometimes get with the villains in these series, but to be a longer lasting uh, opponent for Kara in the long term. And I sense now with a couple of episodes being cut from this season, hopefully to be held off for the next, that we're going to get one of those evil end of season cliffhangers with Leviathan and uh, all the multiple powered, almost gods of that ancient league. A, a teaming up against uh, against Supergirl and her allies, so yeah, absolutely, very good. It's coming back in just under a month's time. um Three more episodes: May third, May tenth, May seventeenth. I'm happy. We're going to get some new Supergirl sooner than we thought we would, which is always a plus when we're stuck at home and we don't know what to watch. Um, I've signed up to Netflix, I've signed up to Amazon, I've signed up to Disney+. Plus. I wish I could sign up to DC Universe, but I'll shut up now and pass the mic to <laughs> the wonderful queen of the purse book,
0: Kelly Gaines. <laughs> yeah, I think it, it does show a lot of really smart planning um, for them to be able to actually release something new without being able to film more. And Brad, like you were saying, having nailed down dates, That we know this is coming out we know we're getting the the season finale for this show and when is it's a little bubble of hope in the middle of all the chaos um yeah so i i'm i'm excited i like the idea that we have some solid dates right now i know um, we're, we're gonna get into news later um that not everything is as solid as we'd like it to be but at least the supergirl team seems to have planned ahead and built a really good show with just enough extra wiggle room to finish it up around the time they wanted to um yeah so i'm i'm excited to see it now that i you know steve like you were saying i've subscribed to everything i've started watching everything so you know maybe maybe by may i'll actually be caught up enough to to dive into the finale so we'll see
4: that's the spirit
0: (laughs) (laughs) all right so moving into comic book news Um, An old script for Gen 13 written by Alan Moore um, has kind of surfaced, I guess. They've shown us the first few pages and we might be seeing this full unfinished, I say full unfinished, that's not possible, but um, an actual drawn out version of this unfinished script in the near future. Um, Brad, what did you think?
2: I'm such an Alan Moore fan that I would love to see. I, I, I'd love to see just the pages, you know, but I'd love to see it expanded on as well. I mean, the guy's, the guy's a genius, uh, even if he's a grumpy one. But uh, you you can't deny the talent. And I'm always, you know, I always like his take on characters, uh, especially characters like Gen 13, which I've always felt were so frozen in the 90s. Um, you know, his, uh, but still, you know, I'm sure his take is is always going to be great. Uh, Seth,
3: what do you think? I don't know if it's just the writing, because there's also the the persona. I kind of feel like whenever I see a picture of Alan Moore, that he's looking at me, looking into
1: my soul, potentially judging me. He likes it. (laughs)
3: Potentially already written my story and better than I remember it. And in the process, I also feel like... uh, There's something amazing about the time that I saw the image of him and underneath it said wizard. And I thought to myself, you know, as a writer, there are few other sort of pinnacles to reach than to know that as you're being discussed, the term wizard is applied beneath your name. If I can ever achieve that degree, I would, I would, I don't know, that might be my last breath is to go. I've done it. (sighs) And like that, Seth left the world in a calm, tranquil state, knowing he'd accomplished all of his, you know, goals in life. But uh, that the script was awesome. I mean, I was, I was getting a kick out of it. And I was reading through. I was like, this, this totally has me hooked. I'm, I'm already like, I'm loving it. I loved what I was reading about it. Um, I do love what you pointed out was that it, it feels Brad, like these characters never escaped the '90s. Never could. Never would. And the fact that you could maybe have a chance of seeing what a present day feeling or look could be like with the the glimpse of this script, uh, it, it really created a great sense of mystery right from the get go. So I'm, I'm already sort of going, could this one day be a complete unfinished, Kelly, however you eloquently described it, script and movie that we would get to see? I, I don't know. But I do know that we've seen what people have done just by using his source material to create brilliant works like Watchmen. So I have hope. And right now, uh, I'll take all the uh, examples of hope I can find because, you know, it's one of those things I'm always trying to uh, remember, champion, and uh, keep a lit. Steve, how about you, my friend? Alan Moore
4: Wizard definitely works, but I do believe that Seth Singleton's Sorcerer
3: also has a nice ring to it. <laughs> Only if you add on Sorcerer Supreme or... <laughs> hey, or if anyone's the
4: Dr. Strange out of far, that's going to be me. Very, very strange. Um, but yeah, Brad, again, you've scooped out my brain, brother. Anything that's got the words Alan Moore attached to it, instantly, I'm a mark. I'm sold. I have a few Alan Moore scripts, including his um, script for Killing Joke, and, and I treasure it. Um, so, yeah, anything that is attached with his name. Because, listen, I don't know if you guys ever read um, stuff he's done for other publishers, but back in the uh, image era, there was a book called uh, Wildcats. And even though uh, the writing on this sh- series was more than often atrocious the premise of all superheroes being descended either from angels or demons uh, from other worlds, uh, the, the demonites and the cherubim was just an inspired idea. And I love that. And these two races had been at war through millennia and their war had brought them to earth eventually. And then Alan Moore took over the series and, and the man has got a gift of taking characters. You think, you know, ripping them to shreds, Totally dissecting their origins and thinking, um, no, everything you know about these characters is absolute nonsense. Let me tell you the truth. He did that with Wildcats. And the short run he had was incredible because he basically said, yeah, um, you know how big space is, right? All the time you've been fighting your little war on Earth, it ended on your home worlds and the good guys lost. And now you have to deal with that kind of stuff. So the fact that he had possibly a movie script or something else with Image Comics version of the X-Men, the Gen 13 characters, it's really exciting to me. As an Alan Moore, Mark, that just makes me really, really happy. And if anyone wants to finish it as a comic book, as a TV show, as a movie... Well, there was a little show called Watchmen, which was on last year, which was uh, inspired by Mr. Moore, even though it wasn't written by him. And people kind of liked that show, including a certain Mr. Obama. So um, people keep an eye on that. And if you want to make Gen 13, I think you've got four viewers right here. Kelly, what did you think of it?
0: Yeah, absolutely. I am also a sucker for anything with Alan Moore's name on it. Um and his script work is so, I think one of the things that stuns me about comic book scripts is how informal they are, that you can start a script with. Okay, so, um, and I that partly comes from just in college, I remember taking playwriting and screenwriting, and so much of it was how to format and build a script so that it's almost a piece of art in and of itself, as if people are going to be reading this script as an individual piece of literature, never mind the actual production or movie that you make from it whereas with comic books you kind of throw that all out the window and it's like what your whole goal is to describe exactly what you're thinking to the artist so that they can do it perfectly and so I just it it made me chuckle to start reading the script and go he literally starts with okay so (laughs) you know and he's such a good prolific writer especially in the comic book industry so it's it's always fun to see kind of the personal flair um, or even lack thereof, that really fantastic writers put into their comic scripts. And, and like you were saying, Steve, if they make something out of anything Alan Moore, I will watch it. I'm sure you guys will, too. So it's, I mean, why not? I, don't, I really don't see why not. And Gen 13, I never got to read. Um, looking back even at, at the images that came with this article, it is so 90s. But in spite of okay. that, I think, had, right, like the the neon and the, <laughs> I, I think I've seen somewhere in an interview, um, I think it was Kelly Sue DeConnick was like, yeah, in the 90s, it was all about the pouches. However many pouches yeah. you had, that was, <laughs> that was how, how super
1: you were. <laughs> so true. <laughs> yeah.
0: So I, I'm all for it. Pouches, no pouches. If anyone wants to draw this, I will read it. If anyone wants to make it a movie, I will watch it.
3: Um, don't forget leg yeah. bands. Leg bands were huge. <laughs> I don't know what it was, but it was like you had to have this sort of glistening leg band somewhere, somewhere on your leg. It didn't even have to hold anything. I, I wasn't even sure what it was there for. But does anybody else remember like this overwhelming appearance of like thigh kind of like <laughs> <bands>? <laughs> just like
4: even the Azrael Batman had a utility leg band. <laughs> yes. So, yes. I remember them well. Brad, where do you stand hands <laughs> and pouches? How does slicky Bastions
3: view the They are out.
4: <laughs> <laughs>
3: were they ever actually in? Um. <laughs> <laughs> well,
0: apparently
2: they were. <laughs> I mean, well, even honestly, Adriel was wearing one, I mean, come on.
0: <laughs> what about I think Steve
4: Rogers' fanny pack?
0: Though? So, wait, Steve Rogers had
3: oh, a no. fanny pack? You don't see the trailers? Oh yeah, the new trailer. Oh, I love. Oh.
1: Wow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We've had the fanny
3: pack discussion. We got down on that. You know, yep. there, there was a <laughs> there was a thorough analysis.
0: Yeah, that's it. <laughs> fanny packs. I'm so glad I didn't hop on the bandwagon because my parents still haven't gotten off. So, I mean, oh yeah. yeah. Fanny yeah. packs are still a thing in the game's household. It's bizarre. Steve
4: Trevor. I'm an idiot. <laughs> not Steve Rogers. Steve Trevor. <laughs> Brain work, damn you.
1: Love you, man. And come on. How many times do
3: I stumble over something?
4: But that's because someone put it in your path and you didn't see it. So that's not your fault.
3: <laughs> well, that's sweet of you to say, my friend. That's always sweet. <laughs> <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs>
0: Getting off of our, our fanny packs and our leg pouches and our other <laughs> pouches. <laughs> Stepping away from the pouches. Um, DC revealed the cover for House of L, which is going to show um, the destruction of Krypton from a different perspective. Brad, what did you think? Uh, it,
2: you know, I, I'm, I was kind of glad to see that Claudia Gray was writing it. Um, I My wife has been a fan of the Evergray series for a while, so it was kind of cool to uh, to see her stepping into that nerd world between uh, the Star Wars novel she's written and now this Superman series. Uh, I definitely kind of want to check it out. And as far as the art, I don't know what it is about it, but I kept getting flashbacks to, like, John Byrne's Smallville and Krypton series from, like, the, the mid-'80s after Crisis. <laughs> And I've always loved that art. I always loved that look of Krypton. And it, and it kind of had that same feel. So I, I really dug that about it.
3: Uh, Seth, what did you think? Well, when it comes to Krypton, I mean, I love the – one of the comic books you were just talking about. And I almost – you know, feel like there was a part of me that was just sort of waiting for some announcement that would follow up the Krypton show that we got a chance to see recently, which I thought did a really great job. I I was really sucked in. Um, So I love the idea of getting another story about Krypton from a different point of view. And with that, you know, we get to see the destruction, but we also have some characters that are new to us who we get a chance to learn more about. And, I was really just moved by you know what you were saying about the art i i i was looking for that connection in my head like this reminds me i mean as soon as you guys were talking i was like of course of course clearly just thank you thank you just right there um and also overall i just get a kick out of the fact that we're gonna see another portrayal of what life is like for the elite and the not so elite and how there's these two different perspectives on what's happening to Krypton, e- even as we all sort of know what the, the real end is going to be. Steve, uh, what would you take, my friend?
4: I, I'm just so, so glad that someone else other than me remembers the World of Krypton, World of Small Villain, World of Metropolis miniseries that came after uh, yeah. Yeah. John Burns' Man of Steel series, because they were great. And honestly his version of superman's origin him having the capsule open on earth and him actually physically being born on earth is still my favorite superman origin and his krypton his and Zack snyder's in man of steel are actually still my favorites and yeah i do get a feel of that in, in the pages we've seen in this article and uh brad well she married you she's obviously got good taste but i agree with your wife claudia gray is a terrific writer i'm uh Star Wars, Mark, as well, and her Star Wars books are brilliant. But do you think it's telling that one of the main characters is called Zahn? Because another great Star Wars novelist is Timothy Zahn, who wrote the Thrawn trilogy. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah.
2: I'm sorry.
4: So um, I I just love everything to do that. Yeah, the art looks good. She's a terrific writer. Oh, God, how many banks do I need to rob in my near future, for goodness sake? (laughs) Kelly, uh, sell all your action figures and give me your money,
0: please. <laughs> I, I mean, I can try, honestly. In, in, in this global climate, who knows? I have the, the background bank of all of the action figures that I just so shamelessly bought a couple months ago. Um, so proud. Yeah, this, um, this story look, it, it looks really good, very techie and futuristic as far as the art style goes. Um, and I'm not actually all that familiar with, um, Claudia Gray's work, so it'll be interesting to see, um, you know, how a a Star Wars and sci-fi writer kind of takes on that classic Krypton-Superman backstory. Um, I will say, part of me wonders if it's going to be a little bit depressing to read about, you know, the destruction of a planet while getting attached to these two characters. Um... You know, and especially considering, you know, they 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 look young and and not necessarily excited, but they look just young and, and ready in the picture that we see, which I you know, it'll it'll be interesting to see what exactly the scope of the story is and how they handle the fact that we're watching a world collapse and it's I mean you know, it it's the destruction of Krypton. It's the biggest event in comic books in a sense. Um yeah, so I, I think well, I I'll definitely to- pick it
4: I have to Kelly become a, a bit of a of, of a Matt Matthew here and say that the most depressing thing I could ever imagine seeing in this series about the end of Krypton is rogol Zar. Uh, sorry. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Fair. <laughs> well, yeah, you know what. Whatever it is we see, it's happening. That's the most important part. The comic book industry is still pushing forward and we have things to look forward to, which I think the last time, you know, skipping over the joy that was filming our Mad Love podcast, last time we talked, there wasn't a lot of great news as far as things coming out and when and what. So, you know, no matter what, I will pick it up just for the spirit of look at that, something to look forward to. And actually, something else
1: yeah, to look forward yeah. to
0: <laughs> like, And I'm sorry, Steve, but something else to look forward to that sadly will skip you over uh, DC Universe is currently running a um, uh, or through the DC Daily Show, they're running a book club um, and covering a bunch of back issues, different events that have happened throughout the full DC run. Um, Brad, what do you think? I just love
2: the idea that somewhere out there there's a bored kid who who stumbles across this and is exposed to these comics because it's not behind the paywall and it just opens them up to the, the the entire world of comics and you know beyond even beyond the movies that they've probably already seen but the actual comics and i just think that's a that's a beautiful thing so i i just hope that that is happening after somewhere, and w- with these opportunities, it's it's much more likely. So I'm, I'm glad that DC is doing this, uh, and the stories that they're offering, like Red Son, uh, and the Wonder Woman story, they're they're great stories. So um, yeah, I, I and, and I also think that older, uh, season collectors are going to be reading these too as well. Uh,
3: Seth, what do you think?
1: I love this idea.
3: I was. I was just like, wow, that's a book club that really, you know, intrigues me. I, I You might catch me tuning in, who's to say? Probably, because otherwise I fill my, my time up with, you know, too many other things that I should just put down, take a breath, stop trying to work as much on different stuff, and remember great titles, great stories, hear others share their viewpoints, and much like I do on here, when I get the chance to talk with you guys, discover something I never even considered, which is one of my favorite things about looking over a story that I love, hearing someone else talk about it, um, gaining their insights, and feeling like I'm discovering parts of it for the first time. Steve, how about you? Rasa, Rasa, DC Universe,
4: DC Comic Book, Club, Baman, Ninja Turtle Superman, of Wonder Woman, Rasa... Rasa. President <laughs> <laughs> Hollywood. Mr. Miracle right? uh, <laughs> President White Knight. Press a, uh, yeah, it sounds really good. Uh, I can't wait to not see any of it. Uh Kelly, what did you think?
0: Oh Steve. I actually it's funny, the other day I got to see a portion of one of these episodes. Um and it does look like a lot of fun and i like the idea that you can kind of go on most of us steve i'm so sorry um can you know go on i still love you you know i do they need to just on on for steve's sake alone just give everyone dcu pull their
4: fingers yeah. out of their bottoms that's what they need to do
0: basically <laughs> But, um, yeah, it's a really fun concept that you can, you know, spend a couple hours reading and then watch, you know, with the whole community this on or with the actual creators book club, which I think in the past would have been so useful to me because sometimes I've it's one of one of two things happens when I finish a comic book. Either I'm really excited about it and I want to talk to someone about it, but there's nobody to discuss it with. So I'll just kind of, you know, follow whether it be my parents or my boyfriend or whoever's around around the house just talking about this thing that they clearly don't care about <laughs> or you know or I'll have a lot of questions and it's really fun to think that you know you can read Red Sun and then watch the episode and be like okay so this is this is an expert this is what's happening and I believe you can also kind of comment and interact with the actual community on DC Universe which is a really good way to get people out of their you know personal quarantine bubble right now um yeah so it's it's a great idea i just really hope that at some point it becomes you know like like steve was saying get get their thumbs out of places and give dc universe to everybody and actually that's all joking
4: aside though it's a fantastic idea and the coloring books and stuff they're putting up black and white pages of artwork the kids can print out color and color in its genius. But when I see names like Joel Jones and Tom King and Sean Murphy, who are three creators, I literally almost worship, I just think, "Oh man, you know, this is brilliant, but uh honestly, you guys get on that and enjoy it and Kelly there's an amazing thing called DM. So if you've got any questions about comics and no one else wants to listen to you, I'm sure the three of us will. So get on that message. Break out your
0: You're opening
4: a can of Steve. <laughs> oh, listen, guys. I already edit every single piece of work on two websites. I can answer a few questions to my friends and my partners in crime and my co-conspirators and my podcast brethrens. <laughs> and I'm just so glad that this story wasn't part of last night's podcast because Joshua would have an editing nightmare with the amount I'd be sparing <laughs> right
0: now. Very true. <laughs> Well, good. See, so there, there is even more to look forward to from D.C. And actually, that ties right into our next story. Um, Mainframe Comic Con is going to be completely online from October 25th to October. Wow, I'm thinking months in advance from April 25th to April 28th, I believe it is. Um, so they're going to be broadcasting live from Chicago with virtual appearances, activities, and other sort of fan fun Um, Brad, what did you think? Yeah, this is kind of a neat idea. I I, I like how the industry is
2: kind of coming together and trying to uh, you know, ways to still give the people the entertainment that they had wanted and missed because this is going to be Comic-Con season here soon and a lot of it has been cancelled and it's cool to have this little little refuge, you know, to go to to have some of the kind of the Comic-Con experiences Uh, and the guests list is uh, pretty impressive Uh, Kevin Smith uh, Joe Hill Ron Mars uh, Maria McCourt so uh, yeah I think this could be a really cool thing and it looks like they're going to be accepting donations for the American Red Cross and the Hero Initiative so that's kind of a cool way to give back too so uh, yeah it's it's cool I like the industry coming together because we we need it Uh, Seth what do you think
3: I think this is such a smart idea. I I was really moved as I was reading through the story and thinking to myself, we can't always have the event we want the way we want, the future we want the way we want, but we can make the best. I mean, it's the Rolling Stones. You can't always get what you want. You get what you need. With this, you still get a chance to uh, hear upcoming news straight from the source, uh, whatever these creators might have to tell. I mean... Honestly, I kind of feel like Joe Hill should have something to say. The guy's been kicking out books, like, left and right with his Hill House line. So I'm I'm honestly expecting him to say, like, hey, I know we're paused right now, but I'm working on, like, 50 books. Okay, 75, but they're only letting me put out 50 in the first five years. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, all sorts of chaos with it. And then they're engaging personalities, like – who has ever seen Kevin Smith uncomfortable in front of a microphone? I'm waiting. I'm waiting. I don't see it. So I, I think he's just going to fill up that that thing we're looking for, which is that void of not getting to have that physical experience. And yet, at the same time, these personalities who are so big, they can almost come off the screen. And then mixed with it, these industry professionals that are letting you know what they're really doing, I I really love the idea. I love the approach. I love that they're going to be, you know, casting it or broadcasting it from Chicago Comics in Chicago. And I love the stuff that they're going to be including. Plus, it's going to be from their website. And as Brad pointed out, you, the donations go to uh, the Red Cross. Like, this seems like a win-win and a great model for other cons to consider instead of outright postponement, cancellation, or indefinite being used in any of their statements which we've all talked about the pain of that word steve what was your take my friend best idea ever this
4: is great this is using modern technology this is bringing the comic-con to the fan so the fan doesn't endanger his life going to the comic-con and like brad said that list of guests is astonishing um oh wow listen if i'm not back at work and i'm still working from home uh working from home um i need to attend this online comic con at least in part because it sounds fantastic um mark russell alone james de one of my heroes uh, craven's last time come on guys let's be real here kevin smith uh online legend boss logic one of the best artists on the internet ron mars boom and ahoy comics oh boy 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 this makes up for me well almost makes up for me not having dc universe uh let's move on kelly what did you make of this
0: news i'm just echoing you guys again have mind um yeah i love this idea and i i've said it before and I'll probably say it another 50 times before this entire quarantine is over but the more content you can give people the more uh, new experiences and connecting experiences you can give people at this point in time the better um and you know and it's actually fun like if we were to all do this it's you know Steve you are all the way across the pond we're you know on different coasts of the United States and we it's something that theoretically we could all do at the same time and be at this same convention I even am. though we're completely different places and yeah i mean I, I think it's a great idea i think that would be a lot of fun
4: i'm in i'm all in if you all <laughs> want to know, tell me when i'm in
3: we should do that that would do we have another special a podcast time. coming up is that what i'm hearing happening is that <laughs> is that it's is, are machinations? What? I think it I is. Think I, I, <laughs> I
0: think we've just made group plans.
3: <laughs> Remember what I was saying earlier about playing with gasoline and sticks of dynamite? I'm just saying there's that potential. We're going to get explosive. I love that.
0: <laughs> hey, I'm all for it. And actually, that this is the bright light in the somewhat dark cloud we're about to descend into. Um, San Diego Comic-Con is not positive yet, whether or not the convention's happening, but we will have an update on it soon. Although from what this article says, it doesn't look very likely that it'll still happen. Um, Brad, what was your takeaway?
2: Uh, you know, I'm, I'm still hoping it happens, uh, even though I, I won't be attending because it's so far away. And, and you know, um, I mean, it would just be it's, its such an important part of comic culture. Every year, um, that it, it somehow it needs to happen. It would be such a shame if it didn't. Now they talked about having some kind of digital component. I guess it would be something similar to the other, the last story we were talking about. But I would be curious because you know me as a person says I've never I, I haven't been able to make it out to San Diego yet for the for uh, the con. But um, I I'm constantly during the con I'm constantly checking Facebook and checking youtube and things like that for trailers and things that are be that have been released so it would be kind of cool if there was some way that we could still get all the information that we would get from panels and things like that in trailers under some kind of umbrella of san diego comic-con um but you know we'll see i hope i hope that a miracle happens and they can find new dates for it but but we'll see so what do you think
3: I, I'm with you on the fact that we just heard what could be a really great model for San Diego to consider while they're doing this uh, financial liability evaluation, which is very responsible and important in the light of announcements about whether or not the the time frame we initially were discussing when the uh, lockdowns began to occur and the shelter-in-place uh, recommendations and orders were being issued, that... There was an initial idea then, and we're not certain if that that's still going to be the time frame that we're going to need. If it has to be extended, then that makes it harder for the Comic-Con to take off the way it should and the way it would ordinarily. If they can create this digital component, and like you said, Brad, give us all an opportunity to participate virtually, however they choose to structure it. I think the story we were just talking about from Chicago gives us a great example of a, an idea and how it's going to be executed. And if they can use that and expand on it, I really think it would be to the benefit of everyone who might not ordinarily have been able to attend or had already planned on attending. And this is part of their yearly you know, tradition, but the way that they can find a way to still keep us, you know engaged with what's going on with what we can look forward to and somehow you know carry that torch that i think the chicago event we were just talking about uh, is lighting this could be one of those bright sparks that that changes the way we look at how things are being affected and how we're responding to them you know that ingenuity that necessity so often requires and the inventiveness that we are capable of we've shown the ability in the past we can do it again and I think right now the responsible approach that they're taking is going to pay off if they make the best moves and they keep in mind what the importance is for fans those who love the content and are are waiting for them to many ways show us the way Steve how about you absolutely right if
4: you'd have told me when I was a child that one day I'd be able to speak to three friends on the other side of the world, record that conversation, and send it to all of you or anyone else who wanted to hear it, virtually, instantly, I would have told you, you've been reading too many comic books. But here we are. It's happening. We're doing it. And Chicago are doing it with a con. Like Brad said, San Diego Comic-Con is my... uh, Moby Dick it's my bucket list it's something I have to do one day and if they can't physically do it which is the way it's always been done the fact that there's ways now to still get those stars those comics creators those actors those trailers into the homes and into the hands of the fans who want and, and love this kind of stuff um I don't mind for one year possibly not having a physical con, but to cancel it altogether and not do something virtual, not do something online would be an absolute crime. It would be sad uh, not to have a San Diego Comic-Con this year in any form would be terrible. So, yep, once again, I'm going to pull out the stay glass half is, is half full card and think, well, Chicago are doing it. San Diego, the granddaddy of them all. Has got to, but if it doesn't happen, if if San Diego doesn't go ahead, uh, my wife and I have already discussed that. Fingers crossed when we head to New York in October. Hopefully, this will be over by then. I'll spend a day or two at the New York Comic Con and uh, Kelly, Brad, see well, you guys.
2: Yeah, yeah. that would be so. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And
4: <laughs> Seth, if you could fly over to the East Coast for a day or two as well, um, wow talk about lighted match and gasoline boom like ace chemicals baby i don't care if you got (laughs) stuff in the
3: luggage compartment of a greyhound it could happen it could happen
4: (laughs) so like i said let's let's keep that positive frame of mind going what did you make of it kelly
1: yeah i
0: really hope that they'll find a way to bring this convention to us somehow um it is such a pivotal part of, I think, the entire, not just the comic book industry, but the nerd world every year. Um, San Diego Comic Con is a huge deal, and I have yet to be able to make it over to California to see it. So if it is online, I would 100%, if there's a fee or whatever, I would pay it, I would do it just to be able to actually watch, you know, watch some of the fun and see some of these announcements, and they they do tend to have really big announcements at San Diego Comic Con. So to get to watch all of that live would be really really cool. Um, yeah. So it's it's something that maybe we can look forward to. It's still very up in the air. Which I mean, luckily they're not saying indefinitely. They're saying we'll have an announcement soon. So that is that is the opposite of the dreaded indefinitely. Um, and yeah, if, if you guys are all going to New York Comic Con, then that's something even I wouldn't say better, but better, honestly, better to look forward to. So, you know, let's just hope that by the end of all of the insanity, um, you know, the the comic book industry is so resilient and so resourceful. Hopefully, you know, we'll we'll maybe even be in a better place as comic book fans than we were before. Um, and actually a step towards that, Jim Lee's um Charity auction for different different Batman artwork, and I believe the most recent one was Batman Beyond um, surpassed fifty five thousand dollars on eBay. Um, Brad, what did you guys think?
2: Oh, what can you say? Uh, it's a great cause. Jimmy's a legend. I love the sketch. I love the how the red pops on. Uh, you know, it's it's just great great cause. If you can bid on eBay, um, yeah. That's yeah, he's a legend. Uh, Seth what do you think?
3: I think it is a great cause and I'm really impressed by Jim Lee's uh, just one thoughtfulness and aware awareness as well that he's got a skill that if he turns around and produces art and then says okay bid on it here's where the proceeds are going what you got look at the response I mean, 55,000, it was saying, I think, that the uh, the most popular was the Batman Who Laughs at 10,800. <laughs> the, the art alone speaks for the quality of what you're getting. But it's the ability of someone who recognizes what their status and stature means and what they can do with it. You can be famous and you can be talented. But being famous and talented and then looking around and seeing how you can use that in a time of need, to be um, so helpful for others. I I like the selflessness. I, I like the uh, the care and the thought, and I love the response by collectors. I'm only now just curious to think, well, how much more can he get when he's all done sketching? Because this could be a story that we're reporting on again and again. I I I'm really moved and impressed, and I I think this is one of those stories that other creators can look at and potentially take inspiration from guys you're out there i know you're listening what's your response to mr lee what are you going to draw and uh i'm pretty sure there's a few people that are ready to bid who would you like to see maybe do it steve you're so right and and it's
4: happening this uh surge of generosity from dc and from jim lee has actually started the domino effect and other artists are following suit they're going to be following the 60 pieces of art in 60 days uh, and putting those online as well to help the comic books industry and for booksellers in need and i think that is just wonderful and brad you're right. Jim Lee is a legend. When he can produce a sketch like that in a day, a sketch which is better than some people's finished artwork, it's, it's inspiring. It just yeah. makes you sit up and take notice. And like you said, that art, that red on that black just pops. And it's completely different Batman beyond to any we've seen before. Comics fans, if you've got the cash, help the industry. Help booksellers in need. Buy this incredible once-in-a-lifetime, one-of-a-kind art because you'll be helping keep this industry that we love, listen, that that fuels these websites, that fuels what we do every single week alive. If that's not a reason for doing it, hey, I, I don't know what is. I really don't. Kelly, what you make of this story?
0: I wish I had the funds to participate in this.
2: <laughs>
0: um, right. Yeah, the artwork mm-hmm. is just, stunning um and it is it is really fantastic to see that Jim Lee's kind of started this ball rolling where it's how can you know the people who have really made a name for themselves in this industry help the industry and protect the industry with everything that's going on right now um yeah it's fantastic and for you know if you think a couple of sketches can get that much money in in I think the first time we talked about the fact that he was doing this auction it was maybe two weeks ago I want to say so if if we can raise that much money for the comic book industry in that amount of time then I think we'll you know again we can really actually end up in maybe even a better place at the end of all this um and as far as fan interaction too goes that it it really shows how hopeful and how much of a a team the comic book industry and comic book fans are. Um, Yeah, so I I have nothing but respect for Jim Lee and I really wish I had 10 grand lying around somewhere. (laughs) But in any case, yeah, this this is a really heartwarming story, I think. And unfortunately, now I have to bring the mood down again um, our next story, uh, Mort Drucker, a longtime artist for Mad Magazine, um, passed away at 91. Um, there was no listed cause of death, but um, I believe they said that he um, died in his home in Woodbury, New York. Um, Brad, what did you think?
2: You know, this was a bummer of a of story, uh, but 91 is a... A a very full life. Uh, But his drawing is so iconic to me. Uh, When I think Mad Magazine, I think of Alfred Newman and I think of his, uh, I think of Mort uh, Drucker's work. Uh, And it kind of hit like a nostalgic uh, bell with me because there's so uh, a lot of people uh, my age, and Steve, maybe you can relate had kind of grew up with mad magazine in a way that kids today okay. didn't. And, 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 you know, I, I posted this story on my Facebook page and my, my good friend from like when I was in kindergarten, um, me, uh, started posting about it as well. And we started talking about, it brought up all these memories of where we used to go get comics and, you know, read, you know, reading the mad magazines during the summers and, uh, you, you know, so it's, it did. It took it took me back, and it was kind of nice revisiting those memories. But it is it is quite a loss because he was so he
3: was so iconic.
2: Uh, Seth, what do you think?
3: Cartoonists have this amazing ability, like like all great artists do, to create something that lives with you forever. I remember Dick Newston. Tracy, California. I'm a kid riding my bikes going with my friend. We would look at the magazines cuz he loved to get certain ones like uh movie ones, uh horror. And I remember always seeing the Mad magazine with some weird twist and because of the environment where I grew up in, it wasn't something that I uh, brought home. I knew it was just going to create more problems and I didn't feel I was allowed to get it. But I do remember going to uh A neighbor's house and it was like for some like you know neighborhood dinner or something and he had a huge stack of them and i'm this little kid just pouring through these things and to this day i will never forget the cartoon that shows all these people blindfolded and all on the floor is dog poop it's just everywhere and it said this is the hell for people who don't pick up their own dog's poop and I will never forget that. I think I was like seven and I laughed my butt off and I thought it was just the most hilarious thing. And I always wondered what other, you know, iconic or uh, memorable pictures were inside those pages of the issues that I didn't get a chance to read as a kid. And when you mentioned nostalgia, Brad, uh, it was the American Graffiti poster, actually, uh, this picture that really stuck with me um, where I grew up at in Tracy is actually a short distance from Modesto, which is the, the, the place where this was all based, where he grew up. Um, and well, not more Drucker, but where the, the story of American graffiti first had its personal roots. And I remember once I got to a certain age, you know, my friends who had some really cool cars were like, man, we're going to cruise the strip. It's tradition. This is what we do. Um, the way it's captured in that, that, that great poster, the the feeling of where were you in 1962, but also the legacy. There was a part of me that was, you know, saddened by his passing, but at 91, what I really found myself thinking was, what an amazing life. The guy, he's working at the civil service publications on the recommendation of Will Eisner. Like, there's a part of me that would go, you know, uh, I could find, you know, get that sort of thing and then afterwards die a week later and say, yeah, I'm good. I'm good. Will Eisner said I was good and recommended me for a job <laughs> like that's such an amazing tribute. And I also love the fact that, you know, he he loved his work at Mad Magazine and that he was recognized not only for, you know, the comedic takes that he was able to take in the satire, but also this uh, 1970s uh, 1970 time cover that's now in the National Portrait Gallery. If if you get a chance to look back on your life and you can see milestones and and memories like this, I would say that you've traveled a great journey and you are blessed for all of these wonderful things you can recall. So while it's sad, anytime there's a passing, I'm always encouraged to read a story about a life that was lived um, fully, completely, and to um, exemplary uh, great heights I mean, I'll, I'll stop sort of fumbling over my words and passing on to Steve but there was a part of me that was just moved by that it was like wow you know no one wants to see a, a a life pass on a soul pass on but man if you are what what a legacy to leave in your in your footsteps Steve
4: well said I could not agree more um this <laughs> passing has really... Uh, kicked me in the guts, because, yeah, Brad, Mad Magazine, Oh man, as a kid, so many memories and so many tears of laughter, like you said, Seth. The, some of the movie parodies, including the Batman 89 movie parody that appeared in the pages of Mad Magazine were just fantastic, and I'm fairly sure Mort Drucker drew that one. But, like you said, it while his death is emotionally heartbreaking it's horrible what a life this guy led and the legacy the memories the emotions that just looking at one piece of his artwork can convey like you said with the modesto connection of american graffiti uh, and it's still a great movie uh george lucas um hit hollywood with a bang with his first film and it's a classic um mort drucker i loved your work all our love to your family friends uh your work will live forever my mad magazines i've only got three or four left that are you can pick up without them falling apart but uh so many memories so much joy you gave the world and will continue to do so because i know that mad isn't being produced the way it was it's mainly reprints now but with a history as rich as it has And an artist as talented as Mort Drucker being a contributor. um, In generations to come, people will still look at this stuff as brand new because they've never seen it before. So it will live forever. And so will this man's art in the minds and hearts of his fans. And that's the most important thing. When you've got that body of work, you are truly immortal. So rest in peace, Mr. Drucker. Kelly, what did you make of it?
0: yeah um i I honestly don't think I can put it any better more eloquently than you guys already have um, but yeah just what what a career and such an iconic artist um, you know as a cartoonist as someone who's moved through the industry as it's changed and you know with all of the the ups and downs and sort of as a freelancer as a staff artist um, and then to have such a, a proud body of work behind you and such a, a proud kind of history. Um, you know, that that does sound like a really fantastic 91 years. Um, so, yeah, absolutely. Rest in peace. Um, you know, my, my heart goes out to his family and friends, but we have been really, really fortunate to benefit from his artwork. Um, yeah, so I, I don't think I can say it any better than you guys already have. And so our last story, um, a, a kind of interesting, fun little announcement, the Cubert um, School, which is, uh, um, I believe it's an art school dedicated directly to kind of helping future comic book artists and writers formulate their, the skills they need to succeed in this industry, um, will be waiving their application fees for 2020, 2021, if you apply this month. Brad, what did you think?
2: Uh, you know, I, I do like these stories showing how the industry is rallying and coming together uh, to help each other out. And this is a perfect example of that. Helping uh, a becoming artists who are really trying to break in, get a application fee waived is a nice little a nice little help in a, in a time when it's challenging for so many people. And especially for people who are in that position to be applying for the school, because a lot of them. Aren't going to be getting stimulus checks, it seems, because if you know if you are living with your parents, you're not going to get anything. Um, so I, I, it's, it's a it's it's a nice it's a nice uh, nice gesture that I think, and I think it'll lead people to take advantage of it as well. Uh, Seth,
3: I think it's a great gesture. I'm I'm moved by it. Um, I I work a lot of contracts for what I do for a living and one of them is twice a year I'm part of a scholarship selection program um, through a company and we help match low-income students to uh, ivy league schools that are looking for the best applicants for these scholarships that they have set aside money for and right now we've been in adjustment period because our reading period has been changed due to the virus And also, there's a concern that we're not going to see as many students because many are struggling with making the decision, especially given their finances of if they can afford or if they were able to afford prior um, SAT, uh, ACT testing and things like that. And that financial limit can be um, such a deterrent from an opportunity to get an amazing education and to know that, how it's impacting the applicants that I work with, it, it, it really gave me a great feeling to know that in this light, here's an educational institution saying, We know that sometimes, you know, finances can be the biggest hurdle to face when you're trying to improve or advance your education. We're taking that out of the equation. And I went to the website just to peek, and guys, just for fun, as a as an addition thing apparently they offer free april saturday virtual classes that are taught by <laughs> some pretty impressive people and if you want to you can sign up and watch online and get a free saturday morning art class so i love that when i was just like oh what's their online courses you know what what's out there that they're like hey not only are we doing that we also offer these uh, saturday courses virtually for anyone who's kid who might be interested, it, it sounds like a school that's doing everything it can to make sure that opportunity isn't something that's dictated by finances. And I like that spirit. I hope it's one that extends to other educational institutions. I hope it's something that we extend to each other. This is a, a great message, and I really love that we're ending on this story. Steve, what was your take, my friend? Absolutely. Another
4: completely inspiring story and a lovely example of like you said uh the industry rallying behind the creators that are yet to come and, and be published because this school it, it's a bit of a legend like the man who founded it and obviously both his incredible sons adam and andy Kubert, two comics book stars par excellence themselves in their own rights but This school um, teaches sequential art in all its forms, not just comic books, advertising, marketing, storyboards, uh, cartoons, animation. The amount of talent that's come out of this school is nothing short of mind blowing. And the fact they're waiving the application fees to let more people in, doing the scholarships, doing online courses at weekends. Wow, that is just fantastic. Uh, Anyone. Who has the cube at school on their resume will get looked at and be put to the top of the pile of any application and any interviewing process because that's how good their courses are. So this is brilliant. This is a great, great way to end this podcast because I can't think of anything uh, more inspiring and more heartwarming than a story like this one. What did you make of it,
1: Kelly?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I actually work at a college, and right now looking at the perspective of what is higher, educa- higher education going to look like after the coronavirus, um, and considering that a lot of people are out of work, a lot of students can't necessarily afford, um, you know, application fees and other little fees the way they used to, it's, we're, we're going to be looking at, I think, a very different world by the end of this. So the fact that, um, you know, the Kubert School is, getting ahead of this and already trying to make it easier for students um, and especially to be such a, a prestigious school for artwork. It's really, really heartwarming. Um, yeah, I think just overall the comic book industry has somehow managed to come out as, as like this almost fighter for hope in this whole situation. Um, yeah, so I kudos to them. I think it's a really fantastic idea. Um, and the fact that they have these online classes where you can take something for free is mind-boggling to me. I love it. And if I had any talent for art whatsoever, I would take one. Um, but, yeah, this is, this is a fantastic note to end the podcast on that, you know, any, anyone listening, if you are interested in artwork or are an artist and just kind of want to see what they have going on there, I think it could be a really great way to spend a Saturday. Um, while we're all on lockdown all right so this has been the DC Comics News podcast episode number 67 and I have been Kelly Gaines here with Brad Philicky Seth Singleton and Steve J. Wright if you enjoy the show have any questions comments quips for any of us please comment tweet rate and review we would love to hear from all of you And you can find the DC Comics News podcast on Apple, Stitcher, Spotify, and Google Play, anywhere that you get your podcasts. Um, And you can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Tumblr, and YouTube at capital D, capital C, capital C, -C O-M-I-C-S, capital N-E-W-S. And Brad, where can the people find you? Well, you can
2: find me writing news and reviews at DC Comics News. Uh, You can follow me on Twitter at
3: clicky b1 excellent and seth uh you can also find me writing content for dc comics news you can find me on twitter as one more singleton and if you want to have an adventure type seth singleton and what word should we go with this time yeah we'll go with uh, storytelling we'll see how that one turns out and uh let me know what you find send me a message
0: Alrighty, and steve
4: Again, DC Comics News is where I write reviews uh talk to the stars of the Arrowverse shows and many other people, comic writers, comic artists. And I do the same thing over at Dark Knight News, our sister site, which is more Batman focused, where I'm also editor in chief. I have my own little project called Fantastic Universes, which again is well worth checking out. If you want to read about other stuff that isn't just DC based, Marvel, wrestling, music, uh, everything in between. And of course you can find all of that just by doing a simple search engine Uh, type in of steve j ray or fantastic universes or please just like kelly said give us your comments give us your opinions i'm always happy to have a chat about anything comics or fandom related on twitter at el underscore s-t-e-e-v-o i will be waiting for your messages Mm -hmm. what about you kelly
0: you can find me writing opinion and editorial pieces for dc comics news and on twitter at Kell Gaines, right? That's K-E-L-G-A-I-N-E-S-W-R-I-T-E. Um, and also check out, if you are of age to watch the Harley Quinn show on DC Universe, check out our Mad Love, the Harley Quinn cast podcast. Um, that'll be coming out soon. We've had a lot of fun recording it. Um, and DC Comics News also has two other podcasts. I Am the Night, which uh, the wonderful Steve hosts. And the Spinner Rack, which Seth hosts. So check those out if you want more DC Comics news in your life. And one thing we like to end the show with, which is especially relevant these days, we'd like to remind you all to
1: read more comics.
0: <laughs> all right. Have a good night, everybody.
1: Bye bye.